0: which is the last prophet we're going to do in this series. We may have covered most of the minor prophets over these last few uh, months. Uh, Our goal is next month to start a different book. We're planning on starting Proverbs, which I'm really excited about. I love teaching Proverbs, and I love teaching Proverbs to young people. It's really cool because Proverbs is like an older person teaching a younger person. And uh, well, I don't fit the older person part. You fit the younger person part. So it's cool. Yeah. So uh, so that will be really exciting. But so is Obadiah, and let's uh, stick this one in here before we finish uh, the prophets out. Um, Obadiah has the shortest heading of any of the minor prophets. What is the heading? This is an Obadiah. There you have it. Of course, Obadiah was the shortest minor prophet. So the brevity of the heading matches the brevity of the book. Normally in the introduction you get information like where the prophet was from, his father's name, you know, when he was writing and all this. All you know about this one is it's the vision of Obadiah. That's that. Now, one of our question marks about this book Is what's it talking about and particularly when and depending on who you listen to you may get very different answers about that I'll give you mine since I'm teaching we'll study it from my perspective if you want to think something else I really don't care I say this was written right after the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians that's what I say, and that's the way we'll look at it. So, would somebody read verses 1 through 9?
1: Vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Enoch. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent out among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, who set habitation is high. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If these had come to you, if robbers by night, oh how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grave gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? O oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasure shall be sought after. All the men your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by song.
0: first one is intriguing. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we've heard a report from the Lord... And an envoy has been sent among the nations saying, Arise and let us go against her for battle. Now this is against Edom, but it looks like the Lord sending an envoy among the nations saying, Arise and let us go up for battle. looks to me like the Lord is including himself in the party of the warriors that are going up to battle against Edom. That's a bit unusual. But it looks to me like against the Edomites, the Lord does not exercise His lordship from a distance, but He personally participates in the battle against Edom. Now we need to know a little bit about Edom. Where did Edom come from? Esau. Esau. Got yeah. it. Where did Edom live? South. <laughs> Southeast of the Dead Sea. That is correct. <laughs> And how was Edom then related to the Israelites? Brothers, Jacob, Israel, and Esau. Unfortunately, the Edomites were perennial enemies of Israel. And that's going to have a part to play in this. Well, what do you see mostly in Edom's attitude in this section, for which they were condemned? Arrogance Arrogance and pride. Now, do you ever have a problem with arrogance and pride? Never. (laughs) (laughs) That was was quick. (laughs) Well, you know, think about this. You know, have you ever seen maybe some younger person than you are, who's like maybe competing with in some sport. Maybe you're out there on the on the court playing some pickup basketball or whatever. You get this this young person who's quite a bit younger than you are, who's really like full of himself, and who's like you know just bring it on. And well, what does that usually look like? You know, kind of stupid, because <laughs> like, he's really not nearly that good you know being younger and all and he's got all this arrogance and you know he's really you know I don't know it's kind of dumb well that's how all of our pride and arrogance looks to God because what are we proud of well you know it's kind of pathetic can you imagine us being proud of how strong we are (laughs) and God looking at that you know or how smart we are And God looking at that, he's like, whoa. Well, here, what are some of the things you see that Edom was proud of? Where did they live? Yeah, where did they live? Obviously, in the mountain. Yeah, in a mountainous region that they thought was relatively inaccessible, and that the cliffs and all that were going to make it impossible for anyone to invade and destroy them. They were proud of how rugged they were and how they had managed to live in that really difficult territory and no one will be able to attack them or conquer them there. What had they forgotten about? I don't know. You know, ruggedness of the territory probably won't be a, much of a barrier for the Lord. You know, who made this territory anyway? You know, they said in their heart, who will bring me be down to the earth? the Lord says though you build high like the eagle though you set your nest among the stars from there I'll bring you down I mean go ahead and live up there where the eagles are or better yet you go ahead and make your home up there in the stars that would be a little difficult for us don't you think you know, we, we've done pretty good to get to the moon that's <laughs> you know, a lot quite to the stars yet <laughs> but he said go ahead I'll bring you down from there I mean if God, if we built our house in the stars, what direction would God have to go to get to us? Down. You know, even with that high up, he'd have to come down to reach us. You know, so, their inaccessible, uh, rugged location was no barrier to God. Verse 5. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, um, has have thieves ever robbed things inside your house? Has that ever happened to any of you? Mm-hmm. Has it? Has it? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I said, here. We go. Wow. That's <laughs> exciting. <laughs> wow. Well, right, I'm <laughs> If uh, if that's ever happened, or you've known people that that's happened to, let me let me hazard a guess. I bet they didn't steal everything inside the house, <laughs> did they? Thieves don't usually do that. Why wouldn't a thief? What would be some things inside a house that thieves probably wouldn't steal? Refrigerators, big stuff, like refrigerators and big stuff. You have to have a big truck, and it's hard to carry them out. Or your trash. Who wants that? I mean, there's garbage, and you know, there's a variety of things in this house that might not be overly attractive to thieves. And that's, uh, he had a real obsession for, uh, you know, mice and, uh, other rodents. So, uh, you might overlook some of those things. That's the way things are. You know, it was funny, when we lived in Brazil, it was not funny-funny, but it was kind of different. And <laughs> finally, the, the first three months we lived there, thank God our house wasn't broken into, but Dennis Allen's house was broken into twice they stole stuff from it, it's kind of unnerving but it's funny what they stole the really expensive computer they didn't touch you know they stole a pair of shoes and uh, things like that and one time granted, this was pretty expensive in Brazil but it was Benita's birthday and they had cake and they bought ice cream they had it in the freezer well it looked from the evidence like the thieves that sat down in the living room to eat the ice cream <laughs> You know, thieves are a little different in Brazil than they are But a thief wouldn't take everything That's his point God will He said if thieves came to you If robbers by night Oh How you will be ruined Would they not steal only Until they had enough You see they wouldn't Steal everything What about the great gatherers any of you ever gathered grapes? I have. A few of you have. Well, when you gather grapes, do you get every last grape? Why wouldn't you? What are some grapes you probably wouldn't get? The rotted ones, the underripe ones, the ones you drop on the ground. Like passing out. Yeah, the ones that are in hard to find places, the ones you don't see. There's always going to be some grapes you don't gather. That's what he says. If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleanings? Oh, how Esau will be ransacked and his hidden treasure searched out. See, if it had been a thief or if it had been a grape gatherer, they wouldn't get everything. When God comes to destroy Edom, it's... Complete. Total desolation. And who's he going to use in verse 7 to destroy them? The men allies. They're allies with friends like this. Who needs enemies, right? All the men allied with you will send you forth to the border. The men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. And then ironically at the end of verse 7 there's no understanding in him because verse 8, what was another thing that Edom prided itself on? It's wisdom! (laughs) But ironically they have no understanding. You know, they thought they were wise. They weren't. In fact, he mentions specifically uh, Teman in verse 9 that the region of Edom was noteworthy for its wisdom and there was a man who at least thought of himself as being quite wise in the bible who came from Teman Eliphaz the Temanite in the book of Job one of the wise men in the book of Job maybe that tells you worldly wisdom isn't worth a whole lot anyway but the wisdom wasn't going to help him any uh, because God will destroy the wise men and the understanding from the Mount of Ephraim and the mighty men will be dismayed. God is going to bring them down. All the things that they prided themselves in and they had confidence in were going to be useless when God comes in to destroy the Edomites. That's what he says in this section. Comments and questions. 10 to 14.
1: Because of violence to your brother Jacob, will be covered with shame, and you will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered the gate, and, kept, and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them. Do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune, and do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster. And do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. And do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives, And do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress.
0: Now this is showing us another reason God was going to punish the Edomites. What was it? mistreating their brother in this case who is their brother Israel. the israelites now i think he is picturing the time when the babylonians came and destroyed jerusalem and notice this is kind of a progression as to how the edomites behave for example in verse 11 what did he see them doing in the first part of verse 11 they stood aloof Meaning, they didn't help help the Israelites when the Babylonians invaded. They just kind of stood back and watched. We're really supposed to help in those cases. But their brother was having strangers carrying off his wealth. And Edom didn't get involved. And then by the last part of verse 11, what was Edom doing? Helping out. Yeah. Kind of joining in with them. Grabbing the loot from Jerusalem. And then in verse 12, the first part, what do you see them doing? Gloating and rejoicing over their brother's destruction. And then in verse 13, by what he says not to do, what are you seeing them doing? Going in and grabbing all the stuff they wanted when the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. And then even worse in 14, by the prohibition, what do you see them doing? Just killing people as they're running away. Yeah, the refugees, the fugitives who are running away, they stand at the crossroads mowing them down and taking them prisoner. That kind of malicious behavior against their brother, God will punish that's what he says to the Edomites. God does expect us to have brotherly love. Now, how would you apply this? Which brother? Brother in Christ. I think we'd often think in terms of brother in Christ. We have no business, you know, in any way taking advantage or hurting our brothers in Christ. You know, joining with the enemy. What about this? What about if you see a fellow Christian kind of getting laughed at and put down? You've got to be careful that you don't hurt him further. Sometimes it may be tempting to join in with the enemy and put him down too. I'm not talking about just just having fun. Sometimes we tease each other without it being harmful. Always be careful when you tease, though, that it's not hurting the other person. But I'm saying just kind of piling on and being malicious. Can you think of other brothers besides our Christian brothers that we can apply this to? Just helpless people. I mean, people who need... Absolutely. There's a sense in which there's a brotherhood all men. In. You know, we're all God's creatures, and we shouldn't be exploiting and taking advantage of any other people, whether they're a Christian or not. You know, sometimes it may not be a Christian brother, but somebody's getting picked on and taken advantage of, and we just pile on and take advantage of them as well. That's not right. Can you think of another brother we could apply this to? Our real brothers? Yeah, our physical, fleshly brothers. You know, and that's something to really give some thought to. Think about how you treat your physical brothers in your family. You know, sometimes it's a real tempting thing to take advantage of them, to put them down, to mistreat them. And... I always make this appeal. You know, it's it's really important for older siblings to treat younger siblings well. You know, and to show them respect and compassion. Because how a younger sibling feels about themselves is often how their older siblings treat them. So There's a lot of applications. God does take seriously how we treat other people. He took seriously how the Edomites were treating the Israelites, even though they were brother nations. Comments and questions about this section?
1: <clears throat> uh, I think it's really interesting how, even, you know, how he's saying, you know, don't rejoice in my people's times of trial. And it's just, it's just another great statement of how much he loves his people because even when he's punishing him, them, he's still defending them against people that are mocking him. So. Yeah, good point. Sometimes, uh, you know, when I was talking about you know, the, them kind of gloating over them and their disaster, so I think, you know, sometimes we get caught kind of doing that. Whether, you know, one of your brothers and like that got caught doing something. But he was being mean to you earlier in the day, As so you kind of smirk at it, and you know, gets spanked or something like that, you know, just you're not happy with somebody, and then they get something bad happens to uh, them, you're kind of, uh, you know, kind of happy about it.
0: Exactly. That's exactly what he's saying. Other thoughts? Cass?
1: This actually kind of reminds me of a good scenario, because, I mean, you know, if we're supposed to help out our brothers, and, you know, and I just think that we really need to try to help each other. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Yeah. just ignoring is not the right thing either. We need to get involved, show compassion. Are there any other texts that might add to the idea of Edom
1: possibly being considered as a chosen people as well, since they're related to Israel? Because the way in which God is speaking to Edom in this book it sounds as though they're familiar with him and his ways. So
0: I don't know how much communication God has had with you know, the Israelites at this point. Because they're obviously related to Israel. Well, I think God considered all nations to be people responsible to Him. Think about Nineveh, of all places, and Jonah goes and says, 40 days, and I'll destroy you." And then God will answer, and Nineveh repented You wouldn't think of Nineveh. even being answerable to God in some sense, but they were, and God showed compassion on the Ninevites and even sent somebody up there to warn them about what was going to happen so I think this is not different than God does with all the nations, even though the Old Testament most focuses on Israel for for the purposes God had chosen Israel, but God really has a relationship with all the other nations as well so you think the name of the Lord spread namely because of what the Israelites had done? I think it's partially that, but stop and think about it. Who was the first Israelite? Abraham. Did God have a relationship with people on the earth before Abraham? Certainly. Why doesn't that relationship continue even though he's working with Abraham for a special project? You know, it's like we think when God chose Abraham, suddenly he stopped all relationship with other nations. No, It continues with them like he's always done He's just got a special thing with Abraham to try to bring Christ into the world. That's the way I would put it One of his, his, his major plan of all his
1: smaller things that he does to kind of social we don't notice. Uh-huh. And so in that sense. Okay, he, he was still working, obviously, the other nations, because he does work no matter where he is. Yes. Yet. He warned
0: the Israelites about all the other nations at the same time. Because the other many of the other nations had turned wicked. Absolutely. But in Jonah you can see when Nineveh repented, God was not happy with Jonah's resentment over God not punishing Nineveh. It's just a very interesting concept to see God's words to a nation other than yeah,
1: especially we don't see that a whole lot. It's very interesting.
0: It is. We don't see it a whole lot because we really are zeroed in on Israel. But I've pointed out a number of times. I think this is a cool passage along that line. Just a page before this in your Bible, maybe Amos nine seven. Are you not as the sons of Ethiopia to me, O sons of Israel, declares the Lord? Now that point is you act acting just like the Ethiopians. You know better than they are. But then, have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt? And the Philistines from tor And the Arameans from Kerr? It's like saying your exodus was not all that unique, Israel. I had an exodus, or as we said the other night in some class, maybe this is exodai, for the uh, Philistines and the Arameans as well. You know, God has delivered other nations, not just exclusively Israel. They weren't so special as they thought they were. They thought they had a monopoly on God's attention. That is absolutely not the case. So in that sense, then, the reason that the Israelites were the chosen people be is simply that's what was saying. They were chosen so that through them God could bless all nations. They were not chosen so that they would in some way be superior to the other nations. I would appeal again to Amos for a moment. Amos chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2, one of the more intriguing passages in the Old Testament. Hear this word which the Lord has spoken against you, sons of Israel, against the entire family which he brought up in the land of Egypt. You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. They thought God choosing them meant he was obligated to bless them. He says, you're the specially chosen people, therefore I'll punish you. So they look like guinea pigs. They had higher expectations because they had greater blessings. They had a closer relationship with God and more knowledge of God. And to whom God gives more, he expects more. So instead of this being something that favors Israel to some extent, it causes them to be more condemned when they sin. So I think we have to restructure. Have you ever heard those things that say there was the patriarchal age, then the Mosaic age, then the Christian age? That's probably not a very good model. It's probably there was the patriarchal age until the cross. Then there was the Jewish age nation in a special thing and then there was the Christian age I think we probably ought not to see the patriarchal age as ending just because God chose, chose Abraham God still did have a relationship with other nations and you can see a handful of people that God works through in other nations um, you know like somebody like Melchizedek who was not a descendant of Abraham or somebody like Moses' father-in-law who was not a descendant of Abraham but was a godly man evidently and so forth and so on yeah it'll blow your mind a little but that's good alright Shane
1: Uh, you talked about how we shouldn't betray our brothers and we should really be brothers in every sense sure and we should show them love and not turn our backs on them but it's something that I've learned and that I think every time I talk to a boy, he hits me so hard on. I guess something that's really <laughs> profound to him is that if it's hard to love our brother, so much harder is it going to be to love our enemies? You know, someone, if we can't even love the people that love us, or we can't even love the people that we're related to, and that, that either treat us well or even don't treat us well, I, mean, I guess a brother can be an enemy as well, but in some cases. <laughs> That's my comment in the sometimes, I don't know. But it's, just, it's kind of overwhelming to think that sometimes we can't even love our brothers much we be loving even our enemies.
0: Sure. I think we have to think about how much God loves us when we were enemies. You know, you think about the love God's given us, the love he gives us, we are supposed to pass on, not hoard up. If God puts that love in our hearts, we have the ability to love people who don't treat us well god loved us when we didn't treat him well job. other, other thoughts? thoughts it's pretty appropriate that they're
1: going to be driven to their border by their allies because they mistreated their
0: brother yes indeed They sort of get what's coming to them. We're going to see that more in a second and draw out some other parallels, but exactly. You know, you reap what you sow by God's decree. Other thoughts? 15 to 21. For the day of the war
1: is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in mount time there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possession. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a plain, and the house of Esau stubble. stubborn. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall also shall possess Mount Esau, and those of Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim, and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites, as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem, or in Sep- Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the Negev. So saviors shall go up...
0: To Mount Zion, to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. But some interesting things and kind of challenging here in some cases. Verse 15: For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. The judgment of Edom is really just one example of how God is going to judge all the nations and punish those who are unfaithful to him. Edom sort of an example here for us. Really, this book is helping us see God's judgment in general. And then look what he says. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. That's what we're saying. Reap what you sow. Reap what you sow is not just some law of karma, you know, some, you know, inevitable thing. Reap what you sow is God's determination to punish the same way that you've sinned. They have, maybe we have an expression like this, but they have an expression in Portuguese, in, in Brazil, to pay in the same coin. Our garden, our basement, and that's the idea. What we dish out, God gives us back. Can you see that somewhat here? Ryan noted one thing. the This nation that had abandoned its brother would be deserted by its allies. That's reaping what you sow. Can you see some other reap what you sow sort of things in this book?
1: Verse 9, all are going to be cut off by slaughter. And verse 10. Uh, well in verse 10 he's going to cut them off forever and also in in verse 14 they slaughtered the people
0: as they left and cut them down in the New American Standard those who cut down the fugitives in 14 will be cut off forever in verse 10 good what else we want you so principles here what else do you see Ways in which Edom gets what they had dished out. Oh,
1: they robbed Israel and Jerusalem, so God's going to rob
0: them. Yes, do you see that? In 13, they had looted Israel. So in 6, they'll be ransacked and looted. Good. What else do you see? Verse 16. Verse 16. At, because you drank down God's people you'll be drunk down and destroyed those who drink will be drunk what else verse 14 and 18 and verse 14 is saying how
1: they stopped the survivors and imprisoned them and killed them and then 18 says so that there will be no survivor of the house of Easter.
0: exactly those who mowed down the refugees will themselves be mowed down and destroyed excellent what else do you see verse 20
1: the exiles of the host of the people of Israel possess the land of the Canaanites so
0: these people who were running from their lands that
1: have been given out by these people are not going to own the lands of the Edomites have.
0: sure so just the way the Edomites invaded and took over Israel so the Israelites will take over Edom good there's so many of those you see any more Look at um, verse uh, 12. Those who had gloated and boasted about Israel's predicament, verse 2, would be greatly despised and humiliated. You know, they'd be, uh, the other nations would gloat over them. You've just got lots of things like that. It's just the way God deals with all of us. We reap what we sow. So he says in verse 16, Because just as you drank on my holy mountain, they drunk down Israel, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow. You're going to get drunk by the other nations, wave after wave of God's punishers. But there will be those who escape. God's people on Mount Zion, the holy people who will possess their possessions. God's people will be like a fire, and the Esau people like stubble, and they'll be burned up with no survivors. And now, God's people will possess their territory. Instead of being invaded and destroyed, now, verse 19, those of the Negev, that's in the south of Israel, will possess the territory of Edom, Esau. Those of the Shephelah, the foothills, will go to the west and possess the Philistine plain. Those then uh, they will they will possess the Ephraim and Samaria territory, the middle part of the country. The people of Benjamin will cross over the Jordan and take over Gilead. In other words, Israel is going to reconquer its territory God's kingdom will be victorious. He's he's painting this in physical terms from the nation of Israel. But the point is, God is going to conquer the world for him. This is really describing in physical terms the spiritual conquest by the gospel. And to the point where the kingdom will be the Lord's. God will ultimately rule over all things as he conquers and as he's the Lord of lords and the king of kings. The true victor, when Israel reconquers its possessions, the true victor is not Israel. It's God. Mm -hmm. It's God's kingdom ruling over all. And so you see Israel going from being defeated to being victorious, but really it's God giving the victory to his purged, purified people who conquer their land again. So, Obadiah shows you God's sovereignty, God's bringing wicked nations into account, and God's ultimately reigning supreme as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That's what the book of Obadiah is all about. Shaked.
1: is this the same picture in verse 19 and 20 about the
0: north, south, east, west thing well it, it is the idea they conquer the whole land they mean? get back all of their possessions it says the south and then the lowland land to the west,
1: Ephraim to the north and then Helios to the okay. east mm-hmm. sure
0: that's every direction uh, what is the idea of the saviors in verse um well, I think, you know, it's the idea that God's people on Mount Zion, they judge the mountains of Esau. In other words, God wins the victory on his mountain over Edom's mountains.
1: So, so he's thinking of people in, in, in history that are later on he's probably saying these saviors are going to come and, and, and do something. It's
0: just more of just the idea. I think it's the idea of through Christ, all nations are conquered. You know... In every place there are people who serve God and who is the king of the universe right now? Jesus. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He is ruling over all. There are some rebels. But you know what's going to happen to the rebels? They are going to be punished because God Jesus is the Lord. Other comments and questions? All right, very good. That's uh, the end of uh, what we're going to do in the prophets for the moment. Um, so that, that was exciting. Though really good participation, really good alertness. You guys are amazing in that. Uh, I'm not sure how you managed not to sleep and stay alert, but you've done that very well again. Um, so I want you. I'll tell you something that will be helpful. We're going to actually study proverbs a little longer next time, which will be cool. And uh, read over proverbs. Proverbs is really amazing. There are tremendous things in proverbs, uh, and so my.